Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Back and D Podcast. How are you doing, Jimmy D? I'm doing great, man. I, it's a, a long day at work, but uh, luckily I knew the, the podcast recording was at the end of it, so I'm pretty excited and ready to, ready to talk football. Yeah, honestly, this is our reprieve. Like, this is the best part of every single day, in my opinion. I, uh, I got home and I got a new desk, and that thing was way heavier than I expected. I started lifting it up, and I was like, damn, this is heavy. And next thing I know, someone's walking up behind me, like, trying to help. I'm like, it's not that heavy. Like, it was embarrassing for me because, like, I need to get back in the gym, but it was a little bit heavy, and I had to drag it inside and have someone run up and try and help me. It was kind of sad. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of news to cover this week. There's a lot going on all over the sports world, per usual. Um, even in just the last couple of days, even. So first one was Lamar Jackson turned out $290 million for his contract extension with the Ravens. He's his own agent, which is an added wrinkle to this whole thing. And instead of taking what would have made him one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the entire league, he decided that he was going to bet on himself. He had a self-imposed deadline of last Friday to get a deal done during the season. And now it's looking like he's most likely to get tagged, uh, going to get that franchise tag at the end of the season. So what do you make of all these negotiations? Yeah, the, to see $290 million, I think it's it's almost like crazy for any person outside of sports. They're, right, they're just like, why would you not accept that? But uh, I think it makes sense to him saying, hey, the trend is really starting to go towards almost fully guaranteed contracts for quarterbacks. So Kirk Cousins started it. Deshaun Watson kind of continued it. So if I'm Lamar, I'm like, hey, I'm a better person and face of the franchise than Deshaun Watson, and he got it fully guaranteed, so I would like a fully guaranteed contract as well. And it, it sounds like the Ravens just weren't willing to do that. Yeah, I really think the Ravens should pony up for this one. I heard a rumor going around that the Ravens were going to try and trade him before the draft next year. I'm not sure how founded that ended up being. It's probably just someone hoping to get Lamar Jackson on their team. Um, but $290 million, in my opinion, is totally worth it. Um, one of my buddies the other day texted me. He's like, I cannot believe that Russell Wilson makes more money than Patrick Mahomes. But I'm like, this is just how quarterback contracts work. Like, whoever got paid most recently amongst the elite guys is just the person who makes the most money. Like, there's a huge outcry amongst Lions fans whenever Matthew Stafford became the highest uh, highest paid guy. And it's just how it goes. You know, he, he becomes highest paid for a bit. And then the market corrects itself. More and more guys get paid. And then he falls somewhere in the middle. And then he gets paid again. And then he's towards the, the top. It's just, it's all about that recency. So Lamar getting $290 million seems pretty fair to me. Right. Uh, well, but, and there's also... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to say there's also just elements of uh, Mahomes having just like the, the length of contract and, and some of the guarantees involved with it, which kind of make it... I mean, each contract being its own unique contract versus Russell Wilson's is very high average annual value, but it's really only for the first two years of his contract, at which point he'll have to renegotiate anyway. Yeah, I feel like Lamar is completely in his right to try and negotiate even higher to get to that like top, top, top tier money. Um, it's really just a matter of how much the Ravens are willing to meet. Honestly, I feel like if any other franchise was trying to do like this much of hardballing, they would really, really get panned for it. Like, imagine if like Washington or Jacksonville was like hardballing Trevor Lawrence or Lamar Jackson. Like, I don't feel like that would fly. The Ravens just have a lot of goodwill built up, and I feel like they get away with a lot of these things. But I think they really need to pony up and make. Um, the next story we want to go, yeah, next story we want to go over was Brett Favre. He's somehow back in the in the news headlines. It's not for a Wrangler commercial. Um, it's for him being shitty again. Big surprise. 
there's been a running rumor for the longest time that he stole five million dollars from the Mississippi government. Um, Mississippi being one of the poorest states in the entire United States. And that money was like supposed to be designated towards a much better cause. Somehow, some way, the Mississippi government was going to be able to use it in a better way. And Brett Favre was taking money for speaking engagements. And it's just an incredibly bad look. What do you make of all this? Yeah, I mean, to your point, it it definitely just makes it look like Brett is a colossal uh, piece of human garbage doing this one. So it's like he's trying to funnel money to his daughter's college rather than just ponying up and, and paying for it himself. I mean, he made over... 200 plus million during his career, let alone to your point, the, the Wrangler uh, deals and, and just any kind of additional advertising that he's done in his career. So it's a terrible look. Um, I mean, the the texts that are already in the hands of the investigators are, are pretty much all the, the smoking gun you would need to, to get a conviction. So it's going to be interesting to see how this develops and, and see if he ends up doing any, any real time for this. Yeah, I feel like the message should be Take your damn phone away from Brett Favre. Like, he shouldn't be texting. Between this, where he was basically caught red-handed with his text with the Mississippi governor, and then previously, whenever he was taking nude pictures of himself and sending them to a reporter unsolicited, like, Brett Favre should not own a cell phone at this point. Like, the man needs to go back to a flip phone like my boy Andrew Luck does. Like, he should not have 21st-level technology with him so uh next deal we want to go through is chris godwin is going to be out for this week uh he is most likely going to be out for a few weeks as well he had a hamstring injury that he sustained in sunday night football um it's not looking that great it definitely feels like the tampa bay buccaneers rushed him back a little bit and it seems like that injury is most likely unrelated, but it seems like it's definitely lingering all just a bunch of like pains for Chris Godwin. Um, hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later, but what do you think the fancy ramifications of this is? Yeah. If you're a Mike Evans owner, you're pretty, I'm not going to say excited because injuries suck, but it's good to see as a Mike Evans owner that you're potentially going to get more of those red zone targets that you would already have gotten quite a few anyway. Uh, if you have Russell Gage stashed away on your bench, you, you know, you're probably not starting him yet, but if he starts getting more targets, uh, I think that's what you need to, to look out for and see if, if he's kind of taking some of those. Uh, similarly, I think if you're a Leonard Fournette fan, you probably enjoy this because it means more rushing attempts and probably more dump-offs if, if you, they don't have kind of that quick-hitting receiver, which Godwin is. So that, that's the main part. I, I think the Bucks are definitely just a better team with Godwin, so they should for sure not rush him back. Um, even if it means taking a loss or two. I, I know the number one seed's really important, but they've proven they don't really need home field to win the Super Bowl. They just need a healthy roster. So this is one of those ones that we'll have to see how they play it. Their defense looked great Sunday, so hopefully they can just lean on that and not rush some key pieces back. But you know, just generally speaking, Godwin's such an important piece of this offense. You could see them kind of, kind of putting him back in the line at the second he even thinks he's ready. Yeah, 100%. I don't feel like they really need to rush him back. I feel like they could have easily they could have easily won Sunday night. Like, Cowboys looked awful. Um, I feel like they could have easily slated through these first few weeks and been A-OK. They have enough guys to make the depth happen. Um, going forward, though, like, whatever's done is done. And I feel like Mike Evans is definitely going to be the one who's feasting. Like, we've seen some insane monster games from Mike Evans in the past. And I feel like those will be very, very common in the future. So if you have Mike Evans, I feel like you're not happy. Like you mentioned, like injuries suck, but in reality, I feel like he's going to get a lion's lion's share of targets going forward. 
Another guy that's really big that's out is this uh, Keenan Allen injury that's popped up. Um, he got injured in their game against the Raiders this past Sunday, and it's uh, already been announced that he's going to be out for Thursday night football. So um, really sucks for Keenan Allen. Um, he, had, he missed a majority of the game on Sunday. But what do you make of this for Mike Williams and the other guys that fill in for Keenan Allen? Yeah, I don't think this is going to be huge for Mike Williams because Keenan Allen and Mike Williams played two very different roles within the offense. I think this is huge for the Joshua Palmers on the team, some of those like wide receiver twos or threes that are going to get thrust into a bigger role. And I think it's going to be big too for Austin Eckler. He might see more action uh, coming out of the backfield because Keenan Allen really plays that possession receiver, multiple catches but nothing really over 15 yards type role. So they're going to have to just find a way to use the the extensive skill position players that they have and, and try to kind of match that production from Keenan Allen. It's not going to come for one place. They'll probably be two or three players. But if you had, like, again, they had, like, an Austin Eckler adding even a third of what Keenan Allen was going to get to what Austin Eckler already kind of sees on a week-to-week basis would make you pretty excited to be an owner on that team. Yeah, I fully agree. We'll talk about the other guys a little bit later when we get to start sets, but... Uh, it, it was interesting whenever Keenan Allen went out, as I mentioned, he missed a majority of the game because of the injury. Um, Mike Williams did not see an uptick in production at all, which would have been expected. He should have filled that wide receiver one role. But just with Mike Williams being more of a deep threat and Keenan Allen being more of a technical guy, a more route running kind of guy, these are two completely different players. Um, instead of just completely taking the game over, Mike Williams ended up finishing with... I have it right here. Two catches for 10 yards on only four targets. So he definitely didn't end up taking over the game by any means. Um, I also agree with you that Austin Eckler should be the main beneficiary going forward. Eckler actually low-key had a pretty bad game. I I think a lot of people just kind of glossed over it because it's Austin Eckler and we expect him to be dominant. But he had 14 carries for 36 yards, which is only 2.6 yards per carry. And the thing that really propped him up was he had four catches for 36 yards, and I really expect that to go up going forward. Last thing that we wanted to hit, um, a bit of an uncomfortable story, but that's the the world we live in. Shitty people do shitty things. Uh, Robert Sarver, who is the owner of the Phoenix Suns as well as the Phoenix Mercury and the WNBA, um, has been suspended for one year and has a $10 million fine tacked on. This has been a running story that was broken by ESPN a few months back. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I don't have much more to say about this than well-deserved. I honestly think it should have been a steeper penalty, but uh, we'll take what we can get as well. Uh, one year, $10 million. My My biggest takeaway is that it should have been steeper. And honestly, if any of the stuff that he is accused of saying would have been on tape, uh, he definitely would have gotten a steeper fine. If you look at some of the other precedent, like Donald Sterling with the, the Los Angeles Clippers. So what what a messed up situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you kind of hit, hit the nail on the head here. And we're, I think we're just good to move on to college football yeah, matchups. Really. <laughs> so uh, we have some college football matchups for y'all that are really intriguing. Uh, week two was upset central. There definitely is some opportunity for week three to be super exciting as well. Uh, we start with Oregon BYU. Uh, one of the most interesting matchups last week was BYU versus Baylor. Uh, BYU low-key has a path to the playoffs. They're ranked 12th, and this is a big matchup for them as well. Yeah, and I want to see how they handle kind of that emotional come down. I mean, they they beat Baylor at home, and they're, you know, there's um, students storm the field. That That's just – there's a lot of emotions flying. There's just a lot that is really draining of, of having a win that big. So now you have to go to Oregon and you know face a pretty tough Ducks team that 
although they didn't look great against Georgia. I mean, I don't think anyone looks good against Georgia. So, you, you know, you're going to have to really face a team that has a lot of talent around them and, and be able to kind of put yourself up to the challenge. Like this is what's going to, going to, to your point, determine if they are really a playoff caliber team is can they handle multiple big wins in a row? And this would be kind of their biggest test, I'd say, of the season, just try, trying to be able to to handle this Ducks team after such a big win. Yeah, I I really want to know who makes the schedule for some of these, though, because last week was Baylor traveling from Waco, Texas, all the way to Provo, Utah. And that was like a 9 p.m. Eastern start. This week, we have two Western teams. you think it would be an after-dark game. No, it's at 2.30. Like, why? Like, why, why do that to the Baylor fans and not – it would have made way more sense just to switch the two matchups. But, you know, they didn't put me in charge. So, uh, the next matchup we are intrigued by is Miami versus Texas A&M. Which fan base do you think would be more depressed if they lose this game? It would have to be Texas A&M. So, I, I mean, Miami, obviously, you just kind of have – like the the last glimmering hope of it maintaining the the U kind of uh, mantra, and I, I just don't think they're quite the program that they they think they are. You know, from the from the nineties, um, and then Texas A and M. You know, there are some because they have that that tradition, the midnight yell, and then of course that video leaked after they got smoked by Appalachian State. So like they just look terrible as a fan base right now. So if they were to lose back to back weeks after having such high hopes. It, you'd have to put some Texas A&M fans on suicide watch. So I, I think that fan base has more to lose in this game. Yeah, I think a lot of people are discounting how bad Texas A&M looked last week. Honestly, they should have been smoked by even more by Appalachian State. Uh, they had almost like half the yards that Appalachian State ended up having. Haynes King is like third to last in passer rating this year, the quarterback for Texas A&M. I can't believe they haven't put in Max Johnson yet. Like That's absolutely shocking to me. I feel like usually whenever you have two quarterbacks that are just so neck and neck, you're so happy to put in the next guy if the first guy ends up struggling. Um, I agree with you, too. Uh, A&M is also the favorite in this game. They're a five-point favorite. I don't think they're a more talented team. They're, they're 24th in the nation while Miami's 15th. Uh, Miami is way more talented in my mind. Tyler Van Dyke is a very, very quality quarterback. Um, I, I feel like, though, A&M is really setting themselves up for a very failure season. And being in Texas, I can't wait to enjoy those tears. <laughs> uh, the third matchup we're intrigued by, Penn State at Auburn. Uh, this is a repeat of last year's game where Penn State won the game as well. Uh, I think this is an intriguing game because Penn State started 5-0. and They felt like they had a lot of momentum last year whenever they beat Auburn. And then they ended up finishing 7-6. and And I think they're really trying to not repeat that. Um, one of the most interesting things, too, is Penn State's having a bit of a quarterback controversy. They got the hot shot freshman, and then they have Sean Clifford, who's the incumbent. So um, this should be a really, really intriguing game just on both sides. Yeah, I think you hit all the points that I kind of wanted to bring up with this game. Also, it's just exciting to see some Big Ten SEC action. I, I hate it when the first three or four weeks of the season, it's like a team plays one relevant uh, you know, conference and then three just BS games. So it's it's good to see that Penn State and Auburn are actually putting relevant teams onto their schedule. Yeah, this this matchup looked a little bit better like five years ago when like Penn State was like fifth in the nation and Auburn was like in the national title hunt. But I think it's just exciting whenever we have two normal natural powers just really going at it. We can kind of get an idea of like what the true pecking order of college football looks like. And then after we get through the Jimmy D games, which are the the top 25 fun matchups, we get to my sicko matchups of the week. Uh, We got Nebraska uh, versus Oklahoma. It's in Lincoln. 
Nebraska fired Scott Frost this past week, their head coach. Oklahoma should win this game easily. They're 12-point favorites right now. But Nebraska has that emotional feeling. They're going to be having Mickey Joseph, a Nebraska guy through and through, as their new interim head coach. I really hope we win this game just for the emotions and embarrassing Oklahoma. Oklahoma's up to six. They're right on the edge of that playoff hunt. I really hope Nebraska ends up pulling it through. I don't think there's any way we totally can, but it'd be really, really funny just to embarrass Oklahoma and this really lost season that Nebraska's having. Any thoughts? Yeah, I don't know much about the Nebraska team other than they just seem to know how to lose games really well. Um, it's great that the, the Frost era is over for everyone in Lincoln, Nebraska, but uh, I, I just don't see an, an avenue for Oklahoma to lose this game. I, I think 12-point favorites is possibly not even enough, so uh, good good luck to the Cornhuskers this week, and I guess is all I can Honestly. say. So we'll get to the last two sicko games of the week. Uh, Arkansas versus Missouri State. I will be going to this game, wearing my Missouri State shirt right now. Uh, it's the Bobby Petrino Bowl. Bobby Petrino was the coach at Arkansas before being ran out of town uh, by his own doing in a lot of ways. And now he's the coach at Missouri State, a much smaller school. I, I wasn't able to find a line that was reliable for this game, but it's got to be at least like 20, 30 points. Arkansas is now in the top 10. But Missouri State is able to hold their own. They're sixth in the nation in the FCS, the, the lower conference of the two. Uh, I feel like Missouri State will actually put up a good show, but I will definitely be rooting for Arkansas. I've always been team hate on Bobby Petrino. He's a bad person, and Missouri State has a bad administration that is willing to hire bad people. We can get into the badness of Bobby Petrino some other day, probably when he ends up getting fired and we have to do that whole ceremony. I'll be doing a little victory dance, but uh, I'll be at that game reporting live. So if you want to see the live tweets, just head over to our Twitter thread. Uh, the last game is Mississippi State versus LSU. I'm really invested in this LSU season because I'm going to a couple of the games. Uh, both teams really, really need to win Mississippi State just to keep up their momentum and have a chance at a bowl game. LSU, same thing. If they want a shot at the bowl game, they got to win this. But also, if they lose this and they fall to one and two, I'm not sure Brian Kelly will be back. Like We might see the first time ever where a coach gets fired three games into the season, and that would be peak comedy. Uh, who who are you going to be rooting for in this game? Do you have do you have a dog in this race? Uh, I'd I'd have to say Mississippi State just because I don't like Brian yeah. Kelly. So for, for, to your point, I think it would just be peak college football to watch the the new star hire, if you will, get borderline. I mean, hot seated within the first few weeks of actually being the head coach. So I'm yeah. I'm just here for the uh, for the drama, if you will. Hundred percent. So I, I agree. Uh, I I think I'll be slightly rooting for LSU just because like. Like when the good teams are relevant, but at the same time, it'd be peak comedy if Mississippi State ends up pulling off the upset. So we have a great show for y'all for the rest of the way. Uh, we're going to be going through some fancy matchups. We're going to be doing some hot takes, and then we're going to be doing guests the lines again. We're going to be looking at those bets. So uh, we'll be right back right after this commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by TSA Agents. TSA Agents, also known as the Sham Agents, have to be some of the rudest people known to man. I get it. You deal with a bunch of idiots, a bunch of first-time flyers, and people think it's acceptable to go through with no socks on. However, there's millions of competent flyers every day, including myself and many others. Simply put, you can't have different rules for every airport for every item. And let me tell you, it freaking hurts when you ask a simple question like, hey, do you want laptops in or out of bags? And they respond by looking right past you and screaming at everyone else in line like, hey, look at this big, fat, ugly idiot. Don't be like him. Make sure you leave your laptop in your bag, which is the only time they actually speak clearly. 
Thanks again to TSA agents for embarrassing me more times than I can count. God forbid I ask a clarifying question. Luckily, the rest of this podcast won't judge. And we're back. So we're going to be looking at the best fantasy matchups on a whole team level. Just looking at which games make the most sense to yield the most yards, yield the most touchdowns, and therefore yield y'all the most points. A lot of fantasy matchups are matchup dependent. So we're going to be looking at a lot of those right now. So what is your first game that you have on this list? Yeah, I'm picking that Thursday night football game. So this probably isn't much of a a DFS matchup because they usually don't include the Thursday game. But for your season-long fantasy, you're you're pretty much starting all your Chiefs players. You're starting all your Chargers players because these are just two teams that historically have kind of had shootouts with one another. The the Chargers seem to be able to really run the ball well against the Chiefs. The Chiefs, you know, claw back from 14 or 20-point deficits almost at will. Uh, And they've just always been exciting games. So, you know, it's going to be high scoring. You know, it's going to go down to the wire, which means uh, pretty much you're going to get a ton of points out of your, your key players. So any... Any star you have from either of those teams, I, I think you got to put them in your lineup this week. Yeah, I feel like we're going to get a classic Chiefs-Chargers game, as you mentioned. It's going to have a lot of Chargers missteps with turnovers and bad special team play, and I feel like the Chiefs are going to end up pulling it out at the end. The only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is Harrison Bucker is going to be out, so like we might get a lot of two-point conversions, which can get you a little bit of extra points, but also if you have Bucker as your kicker, you're just kind of screwed. Also, drop Butker if you have a kicker. Don't be fielding two kickers. That's just freaking stupid. Um, so, yeah, I, I like this pick. It's not one that I had, but I think it's extremely valid. Thursday night games are a little weird always, though, too. So we'll see what happens. My first game that I had was Texans against the Broncos. I think these are two teams that ended up impressing on offense in a lot of ways. There's a lot of guys that are extremely fantasy relevant and just two defenses that just didn't overly excel this past week. Texans, I feel like we'll finally see a little bit of a breakout for Damian Pierce. But if you don't have Damian Pierce, Rex Burkhead, always a good option. Davis Mills really looked like a professional quarterback this past week, which a lot of people expected, but he's just not quite a household name yet. I think Brandon Cooks has a really big week as well. And I feel like the Broncos just have a bunch of guys. They've been hearing it all week this week about how bad of a call they had on Monday Night Football going for that 64-yard field goal. And so trying to go forward on fourth and five. I feel like Nathaniel Hackett is already under a bit of a hot seat and will be trying to go, go, go on offense. I think we'll see a really, really big game this week. Well, yeah, to your point, I mean, the Broncos missed out on 14 points this past week when they have two goal line fumbles. So you you better believe that those running backs are going to be a little bit more ready when their when their numbers called in the, in the red zone this week. I, I mean, they're going to be getting it drilled into their head. Hey, ball control, you know, let's finish drives. So I, I could see the Broncos putting up 40 points just because of kind of having that bounce back. Like, oh, we worked on nothing but red zone drill this whole weekend. Yeah, it felt like the Melvin Gordon one was like 100% his fault on the goal line. And then the Javante Williams, like, I didn't really attribute to him as much like that right tackle just completely missed his block. And then Javante just got blew up. And I don't know, like if I got hit by a 350 pound defensive lineman, like there's no way I'm holding onto the ball. So I don't fully blame Javante Williams. Like maybe he could have gotten to more of a fetal position to hold onto that ball. But I think this week the, the shoring up on the line is going to be really important and they're going to be able to hold onto it a little bit more. What's your next game that you have? Yeah, I've got uh, Cardinals Raiders. So Similar to my take last week of Raiders versus Chargers, um, although I think this one's even more proof. Like the the Cardinals' defense looked very bad uh, against the Chiefs. Now, obviously, the Chiefs' offense, I think, 
I mean, just you have Mahomes, you have week one, Andy Reid. He has the entire playbook at his disposal. He's kind of known for like the first eight weeks, just like showing every new play he's ever conceived in the offseason. Um, so that's definitely a tough matchup for the Cardinals. But in general, that defense didn't look great. J.J. Watt's health, per usual, is up in the air. Um, the Raiders are going to need to prove themselves a bit. I mean, you're not going to have four turnovers every week. Uh, so, you know, kind of expecting a little bit better performance there. On the, I mean, just in general, you have two highly potent offenses, sh- you, know, you know, shoddy defenses, and then two teams that absolutely need a win this week because they don't want to start 0-2. So for that reason alone, I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, gutsy decisions to go for it on fourth or go for two, and you're just going to have teams that need to put up points, and, and that's just all it's going to come down to. So you got any of the receivers for either of those teams, I, I think you're pretty excited for this matchup. Yeah, I fully agree. Hollywood Brown looked pretty good, but the rest of the receivers for the Cardinals didn't look that great. Rondale Moore should be back this week, so that will be a bump in for the offense. Honestly, Kyler Murray didn't look that great last week, which is a little concerning, especially with like the Chiefs offense just being kind of average. And so it, hopefully he'll be, look, be looking better outside of garbage time this upcoming week. And yeah, I think you make a great point. Like we, We've seen time and time again, when a team starts 0-3, it's almost impossible to claw your way back. I don't have the statistic yet because we haven't reached that point in the season, but it's something like only like 10% of teams end up making the playoffs after starting 0-3. And these are two teams with playoff expectations from their owners. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a very, very heavy-hitting matchup. My next matchup that I have is Rams versus Falcons. Uh, the Rams are going to be extremely motivated from this past week after being embarrassed in the season opener by uh, the – why am I blanking? Uh, the Buffalo Bills. And so they're going to be extremely motivated. They're going to want to get Allen Robinson involved in the lineup. They're going to be wanting to get Cam Akers maybe off the ground a little bit. And Daryl Henderson actually looked really, really great this week. So uh, the Falcons' defense on the other end looked absolutely awful against the Saints, especially once we reached that third quarter, fourth quarter last week against New Orleans. So I think it'll be a really big week for the Rams. But honestly, the Rams' defense didn't look that great. Jalen Ramsey got burned a few times last week and they really we, we mentioned they really looked like they needed to have Von Miller on that defense in order to look a little bit better so I think the Falcons could end up having a really big week it's going to be a big bounce back week for Kyle Pitts Corral Patterson looked amazing last week and so they really really need a bounce back as well so I think this could be a really big matchup I could see it being high flying and that's really all you need for, in order to breed fantasy success yeah, if, if I had Cooper Cup, I'd feel very confident that getting points. I think Darrell Henderson owners, you feel good, one, because you probably picked him up either as a free agent or as one of your last picks. I, if I have Allen Robinson, I'm nervous because last week was just like, oh, you know, why are we not using this guy? Like, you couldn't have a better game script as a, a wide receiver owner for the Rams, and he just didn't get looks. Uh, but then also Cam Akers owners – have to be incredibly nervous. If you spend a third or fourth round pick to get Cam Akers and he touched the ball three times, you're really nervous. So this game, it's tough because it is a good matchup for fantasy owners, but at kind of at the same time, you're like, how can I start a guy that got three touches last week? You know, you know what I mean? Something like that. So it, it's definitely weird. And then that kind of the same or on the opposite side of the coin, the Falcons, you know, they're, they're going to be facing a Rams defense that's pride got wounded a little bit. I think they went against a Bills team that they just definitely did not look prepared to face. And now they get three extra days to, to take on a definitely less than elite Falcon squad, especially when you compare them to the Bills. And man, it, c- it could get ugly real quick for the Falcons. You know, a couple turnovers, Rams just kind of doing Cooper Cup things, getting the ball right down the field. 
And then it can just, at that point, it's all garbage time and all bets are off of who's actually getting points. And, and for me, that makes it a little bit scary of a matchup. But to your point, there will be fantasy points around. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't start Cam Akers this week. We're going to get into that later. But I think this could be a good momentum game to start building some of that back. Uh, it seemed like a lot of confidence was lost between Cam Akers and Sean McVay. There's a com- uh, there was a comment this past week where uh, Cam Akers just like needs to run more confidently and need to be less tentative and hopefully he can kind of get that back. And the second comment I have is uh, last week, Michael Thomas just completely burned A.J. Terrell for two touchdowns. And usually A.J. Terrell, the cornerback for the Atlanta Falcons, is usually the guy that you're extremely worried about on their defense. And he's definitely looking a little bit vulnerable so far this year. So I think it could also be a very, very big week for Cooper, Cooper Cup. That's a really good point. The last matchup we have is a matchup we both have. Uh, is a Monday night football game. There's actually two Monday night football games this week, which is a little bit backwards because usually it's week one that has the two Monday night football games. But I digress. Vikings versus Eagles. I think we both agree these are two offenses that incredibly impressed this past week, and we fully expect it to leak into week two. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see, you know, was the Vikings defensive performance a fluke or is it kind of is their defense here to stay? So, I mean, if they if they shut down the Eagles, um, then that kind of proves like, oh, it wasn't just the Packers having a bad week. Like this Vikings defense is for real. But I, I also just don't quite see that happening. That Eagles offense looked very, very potent by the same token. The Vikings offense looked great. And then the Eagles... You know, I don't want to say bad things about the Lions because they're definitely much improved, but they did just give up 34 points and, and almost an entire comeback against the Lions. And it's like, you know, the Lions don't have anyone the caliber of Justin Jefferson or Delvin Cook. I, I get it. It's not fair. D Swift and Delvin Cook are probably on the same level. I might even take D Swift over Cook, but Justin Jefferson might feast this, you know, this weekend because uh, I, I just don't know who who you could even compare to, uh, you know, on the, on the lines that would be even anywhere close. Like I know Amon Ra's great, but he's not in the same stratosphere as Justin Jefferson. So just, I see a lot of points coming out of this game. It's going to be one of those classic NFL, you know, like the NFL office is just loving it because it's like a 45 to 40 type performance. Um, and I'm, I'm just ready for it. I'm excited to see it, but what, what's your takeaway on it? Yeah, I totally agree. I think I, I was just thinking about this. Like, I don't even know what a good way, to stop this Eagles offense is they can beat you on the ground. They can beat you in the air. If you, I was thinking like maybe the best way would be doing the old Bill Belichick strategy of putting like your entire defensive effort onto AJ Brown, but then they have Devonte Smith and then they also have Dallas Goddard. And so like, there's just a, like a lot of different weapons. The offensive line is really solid too. Like, I don't really know what the best way to shut down the Eagles offense. And like, even if you're like, oh, we're just going to completely sell out on stopping the pass. Well, then Jalen Hurts will beat you with his legs. So they, they really have a counter for every single thing. I really see the Vikings defense struggling. They're like the Rodgers led offense last week was extremely one dimensional. It was get it to the running backs. And that's really about it. That's all we can really try to do. And I think this week we're going to see a little bit of a struggle by the Vikings defense without a lot of big names. And then, yeah, on the other end as well, like you got the weapons of Justin Jefferson, Irv Smith Jr., Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. Like there's just so many different guys that you can spread the ball around to. It's like, what do you really even do to stop it? I think both defenses are going to be gassed by the end of the game. And yeah, I honestly like smash the over on this game. 45-40, like honestly seems extremely reasonable. And this could be a really, really fun Monday night game. Really excited to watch that one. All right, let's get into uh, start and sit them. So our first start situation is two wide receivers. You want to go over this one, Jimmy D? Yeah, so... 
and I kind of pulled this up. So to your point, the Rams Falcons game, hopefully should be kind of a bounce back for the Rams. At least that was my thought behind putting Allen Robinson in there. So the Rams have had to basically listen to all sorts of takes of, of you know, like, okay, is Stafford injured? Uh, is Stafford racist? Like what's going on? Why is Allen Robinson or, or any other person that's had a cup not getting targets? Um, so I, I could see it as a, as a bounce back week for Allen Robinson. Um, it's going to be pretty obvious to the Falcons to stop Cooper cup. You'd think that's obvious to everyone, but I would I'd expect some amount of double, double to triple teaming on cup as like a, Hey, see if anyone else can beat us because that was their entire offense against the bills. Uh, so to me that, that leaves Allen, Allen Robinson being open. So um, I'm, I'm not ready to give up on him yet. Now, if this week's bad again, then I'm going to start really moving him down the, uh, the board of like only start him if you have no other option. Uh, but for now, I, w- I would still put him in my lineup. And then kind of on the flip side of the coin, it's looking pretty rough for CeeDee Lamb. He looked bad in the lineup with Deck. And then now you got Cooper Rush in there who didn't look great in his limited time. Uh, generally speaking, if if you're kind of struggling or you know, you're know you out of rhythm, being with the backup quarterback is not the way to get back into rhythm. Uh, really don't love being any part of the receiving core of this Dallas offense right now. And it's tough because if you pick CeeDee Lamb, he was either an early second or a late first round pick for you. And you're possibly not starting him this week or, or you know, like flex only. I mean, he's, he's really at that point where it's like he's a more volatile DK Metcalf and, and people are pretty low on DK Metcalf this season. But the difference being we kind of have faith in Geno Smith now and we have no faith in anything uh, quarterback related for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, honestly, I think it's way too early to give up on A-Rob. There were definitely a few plays this past week where he looked incredibly unmotivated. Like he just would stop at the end of his route, not do any extra effort, not run, start running upfield in order to block or anything like that. And so that kind of gives me a little bit of concern, but hopefully this week, if they're not getting blown out, he'll still have that level of motivation. Last year, a lot of the problem was the route tree. That doesn't really seem like the issue under McVay. So hopefully he can figure some things out and get a rhythm together with Matthew Stafford. It's a new quarterback. It's a new team. The pass blocking was really, really rough for the Rams this past week hopefully there'll be a little bit more time for him to run a longer route and get some of those bigger passes and yeah i feel bad like cd lamb i was hyping up like i texted you right before the season started i was like damn like maybe i should put cd lamb as like my number two wide receiver like even above cup and chase and like that seems like a mistake now uh cd lamb was one of my favorites just based off talent but now it's like it's gonna be cooper rush andy dalton passing to him and I, I don't know. Like, it, you definitely can't start him in one of your wide receiver spots. Like, you got to move him down to flex to give him a little extra motivation. You, know, you got to downgrade him a little bit. But it, it it's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding for the Cowboys going forward. And they had the Bengals this week. Like, the Bengals made the Super Bowl last year, so it's a quality opponent. Um, and he's gonna be going against Eli Apple all day long. Uh, it it really hurts seeing my boy fall from grace. Uh, I don't want to overreact. Like, you don't. I don't think you absolutely sit him, but like you definitely move him to a flex and you consider not starting him next week if you have yeah and, and then i kind of the our next, next matchup here uh i, I sorry i just um you, you brought up good points there and then kind of on the the reverse of that so I'm, I'm pretty out on cd but for me zeke actually looks pretty good he looks healthy right now uh so i'd i'd be all for starting zeke as well as tony pollard this coming week because i think you just have two running backs where you know when you can't trust your offense throwing the ball that means you really gotta lean on these backs Zeke's going to get a lot of carries. I think Pollard's going to get a lot of screen, uh, excuse me, screen and swing passes. Uh, so I'd be pretty excited to be playing 
I guess maybe excited is not the right word, but I think I'd be much more confident in Cowboys running backs this week than than any of their receiving threats. Yeah, the split last week was pretty interesting because Zeke Elliott finished with 10 rushes for 52 yards. Tony Pollard had only six carries, only for eight yards, which I feel like usually it's the opposite. Like Pollard gets a little bit more efficiency, whereas Zeke gets a little bit more of that volume. But this week, Pollard just like straight up didn't look good. The run blocking didn't look that great. Uh, but they're going to have to rely on those running backs if they want to get by and, yeah, do some quicker things, get get some screen passes, do some end around stuff like that. That's going to be their only way to develop offense going forward. And, uh, yeah, Cam Akers on the other end of things. Like, he is a definite set. Don't even consider it. And it really sucks. If you drafted him with a top 30 pick, which is what he was going ADP-wise for a majority of this draft season, like, you can't trust him right now. you got to wait until maybe later in the season if an injury happens or if he just really develops a better trust with Sean McVay's offense, um, or a true fall from grace. Yeah, one, of the, one of the worst picks I've ever seen, and I'm really glad I didn't draft him anywhere. <laughs> yeah, really quickly, would would you try to trade for Cam Akers at all? Like, I mean, if I'm talking like a you know really late round guy that you picked, maybe like a Khalil Herbert to try to say like, okay, you know, we know there's talent there, and maybe he steps into the role. Or are you just like, man, I'm staying all the way away and not doing anything with Cam until we see what the Rams plan seems to be for him. Yeah. I, I think I've mentioned this before in the pod. I'm in like 20 plus leagues right now. So I figure I have a decent gauge on like how the market's working. Cam Akers this past week in one of my leagues went for Deontay Johnson. So I don't feel like that that's going to be like exactly what you can get him for. I feel like a lot of people are still hoping that like his price tag is what you can trade for. And I don't think a Khalil Herbert gets it done in a majority of leagues. I think you would have to give up someone more like a, I don't know, like an Allen Robinson you have listed down or like a Brandon Ayuk, like an actual quality asset. And so like, I just don't think that's realistic yet. Uh, if you could for a Khalil Herbert, hundred percent, like Khalil Herbert's a number two running back. Dave Montgomery didn't look that great. Um, but I just don't think that price tag's there yet. I think the market hasn't fully corrected yet. Yeah. For, for this next one here, sorry, sorry. Uh, for the listeners, we're having a, a little bit of lag in between the two. So there, there's just kind of a delay and a little bit of unsuredness of who's taken which point, but uh, just as long as you bear with us, we appreciate it. But uh, I, I'm pretty high on Ramondre Stevenson. This uh, past week was pretty tough for Patriots fans. But the the one very obvious aspect was that Ramondre was our best playmaker. Um, then he's all, he was also in a kind of a three-headed backfield. But now Ty Montgomery is on IR, so he's going to be out for at least the next four weeks. So you, you kind of took the potential three people splitting the touches. And now it's just down to Ramondre and Damian Harris. And when Ramondre has the ball, he just, he looks great with it. He he's explosive. He runs through people. They're using him in the passing game. It was a tough week for him in Miami. It was a tough week for all Patriots, but I'd still be pretty high on Ramondre. And, you know, if you can find someone that's not ex- like as excited about Ramondre, that the talent you could try to trade for him, but at least, you know, this week alone, I'm, I'm saying I would start him against that Steelers defense that, you know, their their defensive backs definitely looked really good, but they just lost uh, TJ Watt. So the Patriots might be able to get, get a little bit of a push up front and might really rely on that run game this week. Yeah, I'm definitely going to trust you on anything New England. I didn't watch that game. It was not a pretty game to watch, especially for the Patriots. But that Ty Montgomery injury is significant. He had a lot of snaps this past week. He had a lot of targets out of the backfield. And I think you're right. Ramondre Stevenson is going to be the main beneficiary of that. Damian Harris didn't look absolutely incredible either. So no one's taken full grasp of that yet. And I think Ramondre is a decent shot this week. 
On the other end of things, uh, sitting the Ravens' backfield is a very logical thing going forward. Um, They played one of the worst teams in the league this past week, and nobody impressed. Uh, Mike Davis didn't do anything. Justice Hill also didn't do anything. And Kenyon Drake ended up being the running back one, getting picked up off the Raiders' waivers just a few weeks ago. And he also took almost no opportunities here. He had 11 carries for 31 yards and zero touchdowns. That's a 2.8 yard per carry average. And just no one's popping off. And if you're not going to pop off against the Jets, you're most likely not going to pop off against a much better Dolphins defense. And they're definitely a fade for this upcoming week for us. Yeah, the, the main point. You uh, the last matchup that we won. Is, yeah, oh, sorry. Just, I'd say if, if you can't pop off against the Jets, especially when you're up the whole game, not a great look as a run dominant team and a running back. Like that's not great. So I, I think it's really exciting for JK Dobbins owners because, you know, you, you picked him in that RB dead zone. So you're, you're already nervous about the pick you spent on him. It sucks that he set out week one, but it's like, man, this backfield is absolutely right for the taking once he and the, the organization feel comfortable putting him back in there. Uh, so I, I think you have to pretty much, do nothing with Ravens uh, running backs until there's at least one game of J.K. Dobbins back, and you can kind of better gauge what exactly is going on. Yeah, there's some positive stuff that came out about J.K. Dobbins today. It seems like he'll be back from his injury sooner rather than later, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's going to happen quite yet. It didn't happen in week one. We might see him in week two. Um, But yeah, right now it's just like, Ronnie Stanley, their left tackles out. It's just kind of a bit of a mess of an offensive line. I just don't think you really want to fully touch that backfield yet. The last matchup that we are intrigued by is Joshua Palmer, uh, the wide receiver two for the LA Chargers. Um, he gets a pretty good matchup against the Raiders cornerbacks, this, or excuse me, the Chiefs cornerbacks this upcoming week. Um, their first round pick uh, just went on the IR. He ended up being one of the top graded cornerbacks for the entire week, McDuffie. And so this is a really exciting opportunity for Joshua Palmer to really establish himself as the that third wide receiver. I think it's really funny that in L.A., they always seem to have really good wide receiver threes. Like, there's always someone that's just, like, right on the edge of that fantasy radar. And Joshua Palmer has a great opportunity to separate himself from DeAndre Carter's and everybody else behind him. Um, without Keenan Allen, it seems like Josh Palmer is going to be in that more technical role, and we could see a very, very big day for him. Yep, yeah, you hit everything on the head there. Um, we we talked about the matchup earlier. You know, someone's got to get those targets from Keenan Allen, and uh, it, it looks like it's going to be Joshua Palmer. So uh, it, it's nerve wracking because with with him being that Thursday night game, like you have to kind of make that decision right now and, and hurry up and get him in your lineup. But I, I think it might be worthwhile. Yeah, on the other side of things, uh, don't love Donovan Peoples-Jones for this upcoming week. There's been a little bit of hype about him because he's actually leading the entire NFL in target share, which is usually a very sticky statistic in fantasy football. Basically, how many targets are you getting out of the entire target pie that your quarterback provides? He was number one this upcoming week. Cleveland's playing the Jets. He'll be shadowed by Sauce Gardner, um, their first-round pick out of Cincinnati. Uh, if you're not aware, uh, Ahmad Sauce Gardner has not given up a touchdown since, like, high school. The The man is an incredibly good corner, and he literally looks like Darrell Revis 2.0. And I don't think Donovan Peoples-Jones is a talented enough cor- uh, wide receiver to end up breaking that streak. Uh, Sauce Gardner last week was going against pretty quality opponent and the Baltimore Ravens and still only gave up one catch in his very first NFL start. I do not like Donovan Peoples-Jones just based off that matchup this upcoming week. 
and it's still Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. So it's just like not a ripe offense. It seems like the running backs are going to be the main beneficiary. Yeah, I, I think you got the main points there. I, I like the running backs for, for Cleveland right now. I don't love the receiving options here. So we're actually going to go ahead and take it to uh, DFS players to target. So this is just going to be who do we love this week specifically. Uh, the first matchup or I guess stack that I, I kind of highlighted here was Kyler Murray with Zach Ertz, actually. So the, I think the obvious play would be Kyler Murray into Marquise Brown being his top target. But I think what we saw this past week is he still loves getting that ball to Ertz. And if, you know, if it pops off with him going to Ertz for a touchdown, uh, plus, you know, good chunk of yardage, which Ertz is more than capable of doing. Uh, what you run into is you have a, a good stack with low ownership, and, and that's a great way to, to vault you to the top of a tournament within uh, Daily Fantasy. Yeah, I was honestly pleasantly surprised by Zach Ertz. He actually looked way better than I was expecting, and he had been dealing with an injury earlier in the week. So I ended up sitting him in all the leagues that I had him in. He fell in a lot of the drafts, so it seemed pretty worthwhile to get him. But it definitely shocked me how well he ended up moving this past week. Uh, he's definitely still the same old Zach Ertz, though, where he makes the catch and then just, like, falls down. Like, the man gets zero or negative yards after the catch, but we'll take that no matter what. Uh, my very first guy that I really like that's pretty cheap at Daily Fantasy this week is Christian Kirk. He really supplanted himself as the wide receiver one this past week in, uh, in Jacksonville, his new team. He seemed to have some really good chemistry going on. With Trevor Lawrence, he had six catches for 117 yards. But most excitingly, he ended up having 12 targets, which led the team, followed by Zay Jones. Uh, I just think that this is a really good matchup for the Jacksonville Jaguars this upcoming week. Indy's defense didn't look overly impressive against the Houston Texans past week. And so I think his daily fantasy value just hasn't quite caught up with his level of production. Yeah, exactly. Fantasy value is just not quite there yet uh, as far as like your the budget you have to pay because he, I mean, he had like double digit targets. So it's a, it's a great wide receiver to, to, to have on your lineup here. Uh, I was looking at the running backs and, and I feel like Michael Carter is still not priced correctly. He was in the low five thousands. Uh, it's not great having a, a Jets running back, but Michael Carter's the receiving back for the Jets and Joe Flacco loves dumping it off. He had 17 points this past week. Uh, so, I mean, that's like a, a three for, you know, three points per dollar. If you think of it that way, um, but it really just comes down to he looked really good. I mean, he looked like the best running back that they had out there, you know, and everyone's kind of more so hyping Brees Hall. But I think the the public perception of Brees Hall keeps deflating Michael Carter's DFS value. And for that reason, I'd love to put him in my lineups on top of just, again, he has the dragon, the elite dragon, toss him the ball pretty pretty frequently. Yeah, I really like this take a lot. Uh, it seems like Robert Sala, the head coach of the New York Jets, is very keen on letting Joe Flacco just air it out. We did like a triple take when we were on a call this past week. Joe Flacco threw the ball 59 times last week against the Baltimore Ravens, like an insane amount. And a lot of those targets went to Michael Carter. So if they do it again, Robert Sala is basically coaching for his job right now. Uh, I could totally see Michael Carter having a big day. Kind of the opposite of Christian Kirk. I had Jahan Dotson. Uh, Jahan Dotson in his rookie debut had two touchdown catches, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, He's a top... I think he was like 16 pick, top 18 pick. I can't really remember where he was at. But really impressed this past week against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, He's kind of the opposite of Christian Kirk in that he didn't have a ton of yards, but he had the two touchdowns. Christian Kirk had a lot of yards, but zero touchdowns. Um, But I think Jahan Dotson, as well as his quarterback, Carson Wentz, who we detailed in the earlier show, he had 
three. He was the number three quarterback in the entire NFL this past week in terms of fantasy value. So I think this is a very good opportunity for Washington going forward. And they get the pretty weak Detroit Lions defense this upcoming week. So I think it's a really good matchup. Both guys are going for extremely cheap. They're not big names, and I think we could end up seeing a 2-0 Washington. Yeah, it's got to hurt for you to say that since they are going against the Lions. But um, the the next guy I have, and, and this one is, is more art than science, and you'll hear later how much Madabag hates this this take, but I, I'm kind of high on Hunter Renfro this week. I, I love to see a bounce back out of him. Um, it was not a great week one performance, but as I said earlier, you know Derek Carr just didn't look good either. Um, I think they're going to get back to their roots. They might run the ball a little bit more with um, with Josh Jacobs, and I think they're going to try to get more possession catches through Renfro. And, and at his price right now, I mean, all you need is one of those kind of classic 20-point performances out of Renfro to feel pretty good about putting him in your lineup. Hunter? But what about his laptop? I just, like, don't uh-huh. love Hunter Renfro. It seems like first... <laughs> seems like first down, second down, and third down all runs through Devontae Adams. Um, I just think that Hunter Renfro's value really hit a peak last year, and uh, he ends up being one of my one of my cells that we're going to be doing in the next segment. Um, the guy that I really like, I kind of like putting a higher value guy that I think is just going to be head and shoulders above everybody else. I put Nick Chubb for this upcoming week. We kind of detailed out about how the New York Jets defense, it's a paltry one. It seems like one that Nick Chubb can really take advantage of. And kind of quietly, Kareem Hunt kind of stole the show this past week. Nick Chubb is fourth in the league and rushing yards right now. So I think that a couple of those could end up capitalizing into touchdowns, hopefully, eventually, fingers crossed. And we can end up having a really, really, really big Nick Chubb week, even though he's a little bit pricey. Yeah, I mean, getting 141 yards and no touchdowns is kind of an anomaly. So if he keeps getting 20 plus carries a game. You're, you're going to feel great about having him. And, and to your point, like he's not priced correctly yet. He's got a great matchup. So Nick Chubb owners have to feel great, and then also DFS people have to kind of consider maybe sneaking Nick Chubb in their lineup, even even just as a way to kind of diversify your rosters a bit and kind of just have people that other other participants aren't using. Uh, so then for our last segment here, I guess not last segment, but our kind of our hot tech hot take segment of the day is we're going with fire sale. So we're not doing it just kind of a, a trade, but more so like who are you just trying to potentially get off your roster while there's still some value to be had. Uh, so I, I started this one off. I was, you know, saying CD Lamb, which hurts Mac, hurts me because I definitely, I bought into the hype that that Mad Mac uh, put out onto this podcast. But man, he he did not look good with Dak, and now he doesn't have Dak for six weeks. So like, I don't think he's just all of a sudden going to look great with Cooper Rush. But I do know he has, you know, some brand value, some name recognition. If I could get an RB2, I'd feel great about it, and I would you know, hammer that right away. If I could get a DK Metcalf, you know, if someone's thinking, oh, I couldn't you know, get CeeDee Lamb, I had to settle you know, two or three rounds later for DK, they, they might try to make that trade. I would take it in a heartbeat because, as I said earlier, it's like he's like the very high-variance version of DK right now. Like We know Gino likes starting a DK, and DK is not going to be that big play threat, but at least you know he's going to get five to ten targets, and, and we'll make something of them. Uh, so yeah, I'm pretty low on CD Lamb right now, and I I don't think you want to wait around for two or three weeks for the rest of uh, fantasy footballers to catch up with that take. Yeah, honestly, as much as I regret this take, there's not much you can do about it, right. You got to adjust whatever new information is available, and just like realistically, if you don't have a quarterback to get you the ball, it's going to be hard to produce. 
Um, I think it's always a good thing to get two or three weeks ahead of doing a trade rather than waiting too long and not doing a trade. One of my biggest regrets is like a fantasy football player was I traded Aaron judge after he had a big April and he had 15 home runs in like the first month of his rookie year. And I traded him. He ended up having like 52 home runs in his entire rookie year. That was like the only time I've ever regretted that though. Every single other time I've always been ahead of it, traded the hot start guy and just betted on them cooling down. And it happens more than you think. And so I think this is a fair take as much as it really pains me. The next one is one that you've been on for a long time now. Aaron Jones being a fire sale guy. I like this a lot. Aaron Jones just still has a lot of name brand after the last few years. He's been a very impressive running back, but it's truly a changing of the guard. A.J. Dillon had 10 carries to Aaron Jones's five this past week. And Aaron Jones didn't have a bad week, but it seems like the writing's on the board. Yeah, this one, we kind of hinted at it in the, the offseason that uh, A.J. Dillon, my Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones. Uh, I mean, watching that game, it, it was pretty apparent to me that A.J. Dillon's RB1 and Aaron Jones is just an additional nice-to-have weapon. Um, although Aaron Jones was on the field more, when when A.J. Dillon was on the field, which was 50% of the time, he was getting the ball. So he was on the field less than Aaron Jones, but got more targets and more touches, which you just would not expect to happen. Uh, it, it's looking more and more like this might just be A.J. Dillon's backfield, especially as they start getting into games where they're winning. I need to lean on that kind of that power running game. I don't see them being down multiple scores pretty often. I, I, this feels kind of like that fluky week one Packers type game. Um, so I would try to get try to get some value for Aaron Jones for you know someone that has a, a very running back needy roster and might be willing to say, hey, I, this is a you know a second round pick I could get here and not think about the fact that it's, he's kind of fall behind AJ Dillon pretty quickly. Let's let's try and name some people that you would trade Aaron Jones for. Like who 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 are you trying to target if you have Aaron Jones? Someone off the top of your head. Yes, yeah, so this is tough because it's it's going to depend on the the league mates you have. Um, but I you know I would maybe I'm, I'm thinking of it's like okay you're probably going to have to get it to someone that needs a running back. So like who's a wide receiver you could target? Um, I I might target like a I'm trying to think who would be in like the, the correct range. So like DK Metcalf didn't have a great week, but you could kind of see that they are willing to get him the ball. And, you know, I don't think he's going to have, you know, that low kind of short yardage usage. He'll start getting some more balls downfield. We, we saw last year, Gino was willing to really sling it to DK. So I, I don't think week one's any indication of just zero DK usage. Uh, so that might be someone I would try to snag. Yeah, what about like a DK uh, more? Or Maybe DJ Moore, Moore yeah, because I, I was about to say a scary Terry, because I, I think, you know, both of those are, are guys that didn't have the best week ones, but we know are, are the main option within their offense. Uh, and then like with the commanders, obviously Carson Wentz is looking decent. He's going to throw the ball a lot. He was able to sustain Michael Pittman Jr. last year, even when he didn't look great. So I can see it going well for scary Terry. Um, it's not going to be every week that Robbie Anderson gets a 75 yard touchdown that kind of saps uh, any any usefulness out of DJ Moore. So I, I think as Baker builds that rapport, you could expect a lot more out of DJ Moore. And, and those might be guys that if I'm not, have, if I don't have great wide receivers, I might try to target because I, I just don't have a ton of faith in Aaron Jones going forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The next one, I really, really like this take uh, trading CEH. Uh, you said earlier uh, when we were chatting pre pod that CEH basically just had everything that we could ever want happen to CEH in terms of environment game script, uh, targets out of the backfield, 
rushing opportunities. Everything broke right for CEH in this first week one. And he's basically everything the Chiefs wanted whenever they drafted him in the first round out of LSU. Uh, he had two touchdowns this past week, and it totally feels like this is the perfect time to sell high. Trade him to a team that's incredibly running back um, lean and needs a running back. And I think trading him for someone like Deontay Johnson would make a lot of sense. Or maybe someone that struggled a little bit more, like a Brandon Cooks. You're probably not going to get to that next level. Like You're not going to break into the Michael Pittman level or anything like that. But like trading him for like a Juju even, someone that's like even on the own team, I think that makes a lot of sense. And just getting out from the CEH pick and moving, maybe moving up a few tiers in that way because he had a big... Yeah, CEH makes me nervous. Um, two receiving touchdowns on three targets isn't exactly a, a replicable performance. He only had seven carries and had the same snap percentage as Jarek McKinnon. So like... It was definitely a weird game script. He he seemed to be the RB one, but like definitely a split or more of a split with Jarek McKinnon. Um, I've been hurt before. I've seen him have great week ones, and then it, it all come crashing down. But you know he he looked he did well in a pretty high profile game, and, and that's kind of like, to your point. That's the the sell high type mentality, and that's when you kind of shoot for the moon, see if you can't get. I mean, probably you won't get a Stefan Diggs, but like, I mean, I'm shooting for like a tier two guy, maybe a tier three receiver and just hoping that someone's like, you know what? Yep. I need a running back. And, and he did it. Exactly. Exactly. This last guy we have on the list is hundred percent me and Jimmy D you do not have to say anything about this, but I have Hunter Renfro. He had three catches for 21 yards this past week for the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, just didn't look that impressive. I, I feel like he has a lot of name brand value. He's kind of the average Joe champion in a lot of ways. The, the typical fantasy football player champion, if you will. And I just don't think he's going to be able to continue it like he did last season upcoming. So I think you can still get a little bit for him. Um, trading him, I think you could try and get like a tier two or three running back in a lot of ways. Like you could try and get like Armandre Stevenson that we highlighted earlier in the pod. I think you could try and get Damien Harris even wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, packaging him and getting Jamal Williams and something else, I think, would make a lot of sense. DeAndre Swift didn't practice today, so if you need like immediate relief at running back, would make sense. Trading him for a Rashad Penny, I think, would make a lot of sense. I just don't think Hunter Renfro is that guy, and I think his past production that was elite is well behind. Sorry, I, was, I would target like a Khalil Herbert type. Khalil Herbert, Rashad Penny, I think that was a pretty good uh, comparison because – Hunter Renfro got drafted ahead of them and, you know, has that name value. But I think we're going to see pretty quickly potentially that those running backs just have much more value to their teams and to your fantasy roster. So we're going to move into our second to last segment. We're going to be doing guess the lines. Um, It's going to be a little awkward with this connectivity issues that we're having, but we'll, 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 we'll 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 go through it. So, yeah. Why don't we just have you uh, say what my, I said, why don't we just have you say what they are and what's that way we could just keep kind of the continuous speak and then maybe we can, talk shit at the end but for whoever's more more correct okay that's fine we'll, we'll just kind of hustle through it so we got first up thursday night chiefs at, or excuse me chargers at chiefs dutton went minus four and a half for the chiefs i went chiefs minus four i nailed that one at minus four next up we have miami at baltimore jimmy d has baltimore minus 2.5 i gave ravens one and a half that one is baltimore minus 3.5 so that's jimmy d right there Next up, we got Jets at Cleveland Browns. Jimmy D went minus six and a half for Cleveland. I went Browns minus nine. It is Cleveland minus six and a half. So that is also a Jimmy D victory right on. Congrats. 
We got Washington at Detroit. Jimmy D went Detroit minus one and a half. That shocks me because I think the Lions are going to lose this one. Commanders uh, minus one and a half was my pick. It is Detroit minus one and a half. Good job, Jimmy D. Nailed that one. Uh, Indy at Jacksonville. You went minus seven and a half for Indy. I went Colts minus seven. This one ended up being Indy minus four. So that's a dub for me. Good job, me. Next up, we have Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Tampa Bay minus three and a half is Jimmy D's pick. I went Saints minus two. So we kind of went split picks on this one. This one is Tampa Bay minus two and a half. So you win this one, Jimmy D. I'm shocked with New Orleans being home that they're a dog. Next up, we got Carolina at New York Giants. Dutton went minus one and a half. I went Giants minus three. They just had an impressive last-second victory. It's Giants minus two. So you won that by a half point. Next up is New England at Pittsburgh. You went Pittsburgh minus one and a half. I went Steelers minus four. It is New England minus two. Wow. New England losing last week, and the Steelers won last week, and New England is the winner. And so, therefore, Jimmy D is the winner. Next up, we got Falcons at Rams. Rams minus five and a half was Jimmy D's pick. I went Rams minus seven and a half. The correct line is Rams minus ten and a half. Wow. That might be our biggest line of the year so far, so I win that one. Next up, we have Seattle at San Francisco. Jimmy D went minus two and a half for San Francisco. I went Seahawks minus three and a half. They just had an impressive victory was my rationale. The correct line was, why can I not find this one? Was San Francisco minus nine. That is a huge line. So that is a definite victory for Jimmy D. Cincinnati at Dallas, uh, Cincinnati minus eight and a half was Jimmy D's take. I did Bengals minus 10. The correct line is Cincy minus seven and a half. So that's a victory for Jimmy D. Houston at Denver, Jimmy D went minus five and a half. Denver, I went Broncos minus three. Is Denver minus 10? Wow, I'm getting hooked this week. Arizona at Raiders. Arizona minus one and a half is Jimmy D's pick. I did Raiders minus two and a half. The correct line is Raiders minus five and a half. So that is a victory for me. We have a lot of split picks this week. Chicago at Green Bay. Jimmy D went Green Bay minus six and a half. I did, I did Packers minus four. Correct line is Green, uh, Green Bay minus 10. So that's a victory for Jimmy D. Next up, we have Tennessee at Buffalo. This is the first Monday night game. Uh, you chose Buffalo minus seven. I did Bills minus five. Correct line is Buffalo minus 10. Wow, that's a big line. So you win that one. And then lastly, we have Minnesota at Philadelphia. Philadelphia minus one and a half. Vikings minus two is my pick. The correct line is Eagles minus two. So that's a victory for Jim D. Buddy, wow, you absolutely How are you feeling? Because you got waxed. Yeah. I was I, I I don't even know what to say. I don't know. I, I was just like that was, that was crazy. But um yeah, I, I guess I I make the lines. I promised to the listeners at home I did not look any of these up beforehand. I just I, I guess I just have a real feel for uh, who Vegas likes. I feel like we did a lot of split picks this week. Like I chose a lot of the opposite teams that you did just because like 
the the teams are a little bit further apart now and we have a little bit more information. I thought there were some obvious picks on the other end and Vegas just didn't feel that way. And also there's some incredibly big lines. Like looking at some of these, like we're already getting the 10 and a half, 11. Like I think we've had some separation, but not a ton, not to, not to have a 10 and a half line this early in the season. Like we're all pretty even. I don't know. That was shocking to me. All right. Let's all right. Uh, so let's we're going to move into mailbag. our mail. Yeah, we're gonna move to mailbag. God, this 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 lag is something else. I hope this is comedy for everybody else. So, uh, the first question that we had was Jameis Winston or Trey Lance for this week. So we have Jameis Winston for Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is playing New Orleans, and then we have Trey Lance for San Francisco. He's playing Seattle. So, what's your initial take here, Jimmy D? Yeah, after watching last week, I I just think that Tampa defense is pretty tough. I, I know it seems like the Saints always have Tampa's number. I don't think you're going to go wrong either way. I just I like Trey Lance having the bounce back, you know, not playing in a torrential downpour. The Seahawks defense, I they weren't super impressive to me. They just kind of had really timely turnovers and were playing a very emotional game. I just I think that the Niners turn it around this week, and I, I would pick Trey Lance. I also love the fact that he had the most carries of any quarterback, and that's really good for fantasy production. Hundred percent. Yeah, I am on the same page here. It is kind of close. I will give it that. It's not an absolutely obvious decision. Um, I feel like if you look at ESPN's projected, I think Trey Lance is projected for maybe a couple more points. Um, but I think Trey Lance is the decision for this week as well. Seattle's defense did not look overly impressive. I feel like Denver still got what they wanted last week from Seattle. And I think Trey Lance has a lot of things going in his way, playing in that torrential downpour just for your first like true start as the leader of an offense just like wasn't a good look. It wasn't going to be a good look for anybody. And so I think Trey Lance this upcoming week is going to have a huge bounce back and we'll have a true idea of what the San Francisco offense looks like. Our next question uh, was submitted uh, by my friend Jacob. Uh, it is a very good question, in my opinion. It is, should, should I trade CEH for Corderell Patterson? Which side of the trade would win that one, CEH or Patterson? I'll let you take this one. Yeah, this one's definitely fair, right? So there's so many times when you see fantasy trades and you're like, why is my friend trying to absolutely screw me on this? Like, this is embarrassing. Uh, this one, I, I can see either side. I mean, it really just comes down to who do you believe in. So... I'm torn. I think I lean towards Patterson because he got 22 carries to CEH of seven. The issue is I like the age of CEH over Patterson. I just, I've said it's all off season. I just don't know how long Patterson's body can handle that workload, but I mean, screw it. He's proven that he's been fine the past couple of years. So I, I feel like you just have to stop, you know, kind of calling him old man Patterson and just relying on him until he doesn't. So I would, I would probably take the Patterson side of this trade. Yeah. He's really bucking the trend of old running backs. I think it's a fair thing to say, like if this is dynasty CEH is the side you prefer to be on, but if it's non dynasty, just a redraft standard league, I think you prefer Patterson. It also depends a little bit on PPR versus non PPR. Like Patterson didn't catch a ton of passes this past week, whereas CEH had three catches that was like a little bit abnormal for CEH. He doesn't usually get to that level. And Patterson, being a former wide receiver, usually has that level of receiving production. So I think we're I think we're a little bit aligned. Like I would rather have Patterson if it's redraft and then CEH and Dynasty. I think you would kind of feel the same way. Although it is extremely close and a little bit of personal preference here. This third question was submitted by my friend Jake. 
Uh, it is a multiplayer trade, which makes things pretty interesting. So I'll, I'll kind of go through this kind of slowly. So one side would be trading Mike Evans in DJ Moore. And the other trade, other side of the trade would be Javante Williams, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Elijah Moore. So which side of the trade do you like more, Jimmy D? This one's tough because I hate being on the side of the trade that gets more players versus less players because that means you're going to have to cut someone and I just don't like being on that side of of the trade uh, but I like getting Javante over any of the other pieces I, I think after this past Monday night it's very clear he's going to get a ton of usage I mean getting 11 catches as a running back probably not sustainable but I mean you'd still expect five or six you know a game and that looks great for someone that people weren't really considering a, a pass catching running back uh, so I love that I, I think in this instance it really comes down to you know, what, what do I need? If I'm on the trading away Javante side, and that's because I have two other pretty solid running backs, then I'm all for this because you're, you're turning two middle of the road receivers into two stud receivers. And that feels great versus getting rid of a really good receiver and getting like guys that you're not sure if you're starting in your flex spot. I hate being in that position. So I I think for that reason, I'd want to be the one trading Javante and two other players to get two for sure starters versus trading two starters to get one for sure starter. I am kind of flip-flopped on this one a little bit. I initially was like Mike Evans, DJ Moore. Those are two players I love. Like going forward, especially with Mike Evans getting that line share of receptions. I was 100% on that side. But the more I think about it, the more I would prefer to be on the other side. And this just isn't for content. Like this is legitimately how I feel. I feel like whenever you are in fancy, you need to try and consolidate as much talent as you can. I honestly would probably end up cutting Elijah Moore down the road if he doesn't start popping off really soon. And Juju's just like a fine flex consideration. But you want to be able to consolidate talent to be getting the best player. And like you said, I think the best player in this trade is Javante Williams. And so if you can trade two guys that are fringe wide receiver ones or just like bottom tier wide receiver ones for a running back one that is like right now pretty supplanted like right in that top tier of guys in my opinion i feel like you kind of have to do it with how the game script turned out and with how this uh broncos offense is running it really feels like javante williams is going to continue to get a huge load and so honestly if you can get two guys for a even higher tier guy i think you kind of have to do it so i'm i I lean just ever so slightly towards javante williams yeah, that makes a makes a ton of sense, and I feel like we're probably going to have some talking at the same time thing. But um, no, I, I again, this one feels fair. It, it feels fair across the board. So I, I think it just comes down to what does your roster need. So the next one's I think a bit more of a, a fun hypothetical versus just a pure um, fantasy type question. But uh, we we got to ask the question. Okay, if there's a, a fantasy re- or like a a fantasy redraft of the current NFL. Or was was my assumption like does Justin Tucker become a first pick? So you know, do you take the weapon that is Justin Tucker in the first round, or do you wait later because you just don't value kickers? So to me, it was definitely a again. This is me looking at the the mindset of this is an entire NFL redraft. If it if it's different, then let me know. Uh, but I would not be taking Justin Tucker in the first round. I, I think in that first round, every pick needs to either be a quarterback a defensive end, a left tackle, or a cornerback, maybe receiver in there. But I'm thinking like corner, quarterback, and defensive end are kind of like the three everyone's going to grab in positions. 
I just think there's too much value to be had even in the first three rounds, kind of just going around, okay, who am, who's my quarterback? Who's protecting my quarterback? And then who's my quarterback going to throw to? And, and I think that's kind of how that would work out. And, and you can kind of follow just how much these guys are getting paid to kind of see, okay, well, that's clearly what defense or um, GMs are valuing players at. And, and that's just kind of what you'd be able to tell who's going to get drafted. Yeah, if we're doing it that way, I, I reached out to the guy and was asking for some clarification. He's just like, leave it open-ended, just see how it goes. I think, uh, personally, if this was a true redraft of the entire league, I would also feel the same way. Like, it's got to be those most valuable positions, and just, like, kicker isn't quite there. Like, it's just, it just doesn't get you the points that you need. It doesn't get you in the position to score points that you need, which is what the NFL is all about, where scores the most points wins the game. I think if we're doing a, like, okay, so let's say the 2022 Ravens are putting Justin Tucker up for sale, and then we're like, would he go for a first-round pick? I think that's a bit of an interesting discussion. I think if we're looking at just, like, pure talent, I think Justin Tucker is almost worth a first-round pick. I think he's more of, like, a second-round pick-worthy guy, just because he is just head and shoulders above where everybody else in the league, like... Every single time we feel like there's about to be a challenger, Justin Tucker, that guy has a bad preseason and he ends up getting cut or he ends up getting uh, downgraded to a second kicker and he ends up getting supplanted by somebody else. Justin Tucker is just so freaking automatic and he's an absolute Hall of Famer at this point. He could basically retire tomorrow and be a Hall of Famer in my mind. And I think he definitely would be worth like about a second round pick in today's NFL. And I feel like the Ravens kind of have that value on him, just like looking at what his salary is compared to the rest of his peers. And I mean, yeah, man has a 66 yard field goal last year. So I think you have to put him up there. I'll add to it as well. Um, yeah. If you're looking at like as trade value, if I, I don't see a scenario where this happens, but if it's like, okay, the Ravens are clearly full rebuild and then you have maybe a Harrison Butker go down or Tyler Bass go down for the Bills, you know, so somewhere in that range, I could see a team that's like, we can win the Super Bowl this year, being like, screw it, I, I'll put up the first rounder just because that's going to end up being a, the 32nd overall to lock down solid kicking for the next three to five years. And then hopefully, you know, extending him further as long as his production stays there because there's been so many teams. I mean, especially Bills fans, they've got to be like, "Oh my god, if we could be for sure that we're not going to go wide right in the Super Bowl, we'd, we'd give up eight first rounders to know that's going to happen." So you know, maybe that's what the the Ravens do is it looks bad for them a season. They just go, "Hey Bills, do you want a kicker that's not going to screw you guys in the Super Bowl?" Um, I don't see it happening, but that'd be kind of the way it would shake out for a first rounder for a kicker. Yeah, I fully agree. And like, there's been a lot of good information over the last like decade or two that typical Super Bowl windows are three to five years. And that just really fits the Justin Tucker timeline going forward. So I think that's a really good point. The last question that we had here uh, is from my friend Nathan. He asked, would LeBron work in today's NFL? And I think this is a very interesting question because the story behind LeBron is he almost went the football route. But because his quarterback was so bad in high school, he decided to go and focus more on basketball. But he was a truly dominant wide receiver whenever he was in high school. And there, he even had like offers and had plans to potentially commit to Ohio State before deciding to clear for the NBA draft. So what do you think, Jimmy D? Yeah, so LeBron today, no, just because I, I think he's a little too old, a little too fragile. But yeah, coming out of high school, he would have been an absolute stud. I mean, he's like just the the prototypical tight end in this NFL. I mean, he'd be a more athletic Jason Kelsey. I'd put him kind of at the caliber of like Kyle Pitts, as far as like a raw athleticism. 
But I mean, heck, I think he might even have more weight on him now than Kyle Pitts does as a football player. Like I could see LeBron throwing a pretty damn mean block across the middle. I could see him just mossing people and, and going crazy. I mean, he's fast, athletic, powerful. I don't see a world where he wouldn't be an absolute stud tight end. I don't think he's a receiver just because it's like slapping God in the face for giving him the frame that he has. So he would definitely have to put on the weight and be like a 260 tight end. That's just a freak athlete. Yeah, I feel like early career LeBron would have been much better suited as like honestly more of like a scat back running back. Like I feel like he could have done like the jet sweep kind of stuff. He could have been doing stuff out of the wildcat and everything. But like once we hit like 2010 LeBron and he started to turn into more of a power forward and center kind of player, that's what he would have been like an Antonio Gates kind of level guy. Like we saw like Jimmy Graham make the transition from basketball player over to the NFL. We saw Mo Alley Cox go from basketball player at VCU to going over to being a tight end in the NFL. And I think LeBron would have been an insane tight end at that point. That would have made so much sense. Like you mentioned, the blocking would have been there. His catch radius would have been insane. It literally would have just been pitch and catch for whatever quarterback wanted. It, it literally, like, I think we saw, like we saw what Rob Gronkowski did. That's what LeBron would have been. I, I don't know if he would have quite hit like hall of fame level, but like he definitely would have made an all pro team at some point. He would have made some pro bowl teams and I don't and like I don't know if his body was meant to like hold up health wise necessarily to the rigors of an NFL season, which is kind of what maybe gives me pause. But like a Kellen Winslow like career, I think is what we could have really expected from NFL player LeBron. Would have been pretty insane to see. Yeah, and I think adding to it, um, the main point there is just the injury element of it. Like get just getting absolutely just whipped around on the field is not great for your longevity. So he'd obviously already be out of the NFL. But then point two, I mean, he made, well, he just signed a two-year, $97 million contract. No tight end was ever going to touch that money, potentially even their over their entire career. So I think LeBron made a pretty solid decision by just go ahead and sticking with basketball. But the real question is, would LeBron as a football player be better than Michael Jordan as a football player? That's all about legacy. <laughs> yes, he would be better than Michael Jordan as a basketball, or as a football player. All right, that's going to do it all for us. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted mailbag questions. We love them. Please keep sending them in because they're entertaining. Uh, I'm going to go and try and reset my Wi-Fi router to see if we can get rid of some of these awkward pauses. But I hope they were good comedy for everybody else just to watch JVD and I stare at each other and have just like a weird pause. Maybe it's like Barack Obama a little bit, you know, just like having those good cadences going on with the speech and everything. I don't know. We'll, we'll listen back and see how it turns out. So, yeah. um, Mad Mac Obama-esque. <laughs> we'll be back on Sunday and uh, I hope everybody has a good weekend. Bye, everybody.